Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. We are starting a five-part series across both our locations on the five solars of the Reformation. Yeah, and if you have no idea what that means, which everyone but Liam, Liam knows what that means, no one else, everyone's like, what is this doing on? Um, We're starting a five-week series on the five solars of the Reformation. If you don't know what that means, that is okay. Just come along for the next five weeks. We'll have you sussed. But in the 16th century, so we're talking 500 years ago, there was a movement to restore the Western church back to biblical orthodoxy. And again, if you're like, what is he talking about? We're going to talk about that a bit more. But basically, uh, theological corruption and all sorts of corruption had come into the church. The Bible wasn't being read in people's own languages. The Bible wasn't available in people's own languages. There was restrictions on it being read in basically anything but original language or Latin. So no German, no English, no Spanish, no, no nothing. It was, no, was it Polish? No Polish. We have our, our Charlie, our resident Pole. No Polish. It wasn't available. Um, and then reformers like Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, and many, many more stood up and sought to take the church back to its historical and biblical roots. So it's called Reformation, and it's not called a creation because it wasn't an original thing, it wasn't something new, but you reform something when you take it back to what it was. And so it's called the Reformation because they were going back to something original. So they're cracking open the scriptures, going back to the original text, going back to the original theology, the original church fathers, reading and actually discovering that, hey, we've gone a long way off. And so we have these five solas because these are five key truths that define our faith and help to kind of keep us on track. And these were five things that the reformers really thought were really important uh, to state at that time. And they're also important to remind us of today, which is why we as a church, uh, Glenelg, North Adelaide, across all our locations, doing this series on the five solas of the Reformation. So the Reformation is going back to the Bible, back to the Scripture, and so that's where we're going to start with the first of these solas, sola scriptura. So the five solas are sola scriptura, sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, and soli deo gloria. So for those of you who don't do Latin, uh, that's Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and glory to God alone. So these are the five things that we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks, starting with sola scriptura, or scripture alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that we can gather here uh, in this new year, which many of us are excited for, some of us are not ready for, uh, but we know that you are sovereign and over all of it. We ask tonight that as we... um, look at your word, uh, that as we meditate on these things together, that you would be present by your Holy Spirit speaking to us. May this be something to build us up, uh, help us to be more in love with your gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so, sola scriptura or scripture alone. This of the five solas, it kind of, I want to say, undergirds the other four, and it's really one of the things that really kicked it all off was this idea of Scripture alone being the highest authority. And I say it undergirds the others because it was 
in actually going back to the text and reading the Bible for themselves, reading it in the original languages and their languages, that people actually saw, hey, some of these things don't line up. And so I say it undergirds the others or it it precedes the others because when we look to Scripture as our highest authority, it helps to sort out the rest of the theology which will flow out of this. And so these reformers were started reading the Bible for themselves and they saw, and uh, all respect to the people who came before them, this wasn't, they weren't the only ones to remain faithful, there were others, but it was just a heightened period of uh, movement. But they were reading it and they thought to themselves, hey, things are not quite right. Things are not right in the church, there were things going on, uh, there was uh, a disordering of theology, there was the grace of Christ uh, which is known to be uh, freely available, was actually being something that was no longer told was free. There was all sorts of these things going on. And so they said, you know what? Scripture alone must be our highest authority. And they recognised the Word of God for what it is. So no uh, church leader, no pope, no tradition gets to say something that is over and above the Bible, but the Bible itself is the highest authority. And so what I want to do briefly is to encourage you, are you actually reading the Bible for yourself? I actually really want to challenge you to be extremely critical of what I say. I want to challenge you to not listen to what John says without being critical, without thinking for yourself. And I also want to encourage you to do the same for any other pastor or preacher, anyone who proclaims to teach. I want you to open your Bible and to be extremely critical of what they say in the light of Scripture. There are actually, in fact, many teachings out there that are not biblical, and we need to be sceptical. There is no replacement for reading the Scripture for ourselves. In fact, over the years, and even to this day, countless Uh, blood and lives have been shed over people wanting to have the scripture for themselves. In this effort to translate the Bible uh, into English, into German, into other languages, there were people literally killed for trying to translate the Bible into their own languages. They didn't want them to have the Bible in their own language. And so one of the most important things we can do is to read the Bible for ourselves. Martin Luther, one of these reformers, said this, a simple layman, which is an everyday person, armed with scripture is greater than the mightiest Pope without it. I want you to consider for a minute where you get your theology from. And what do I mean by theology? Your beliefs about God. Your beliefs about yourself and how you relate to God in the world. Your belief about what God is like. Your belief about what God wants from you. your belief about what God wants you to do, your belief about what the church is. Where do you get those beliefs? Where do you get those ideas? How did you arrive at the conclusions that you hold? I genuinely want you to take a minute and think about it. What you believe about God and yourself and, and him and you in relation to him and the church, what you believe, how did you decide that? How did you come to that conclusion? It's interesting to think. 
Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone is the doctrine, the belief that the Bible, the Word of God, should be and is the supreme authority in all matters of doctrine, theology, and practice, actually doing life. This idea of sola scriptura, scripture alone, doesn't deny that there actually are other authorities that kind of govern Christian life and inform us, but it sees all other thoughts and other ideas and other ways of getting this knowledge as subordinate to and corrected by the written word of God. So I'm going to unpack that for us a little bit more. Uh, John Wesley, we're going to 18th century now, was a, a reformer of the Anglican Church who accidentally started a new denomination when they kicked him out. Didn't mean to. Whoops, there's the Methodist Church. Uh, he started in the 18th century and he wrote this. He wrote, In all cases, the church is to be judged by the scripture not the scripture by the church. And uh, in a thing called the uh, Wesleyan quadrilateral, which, again, we'll unpack this, but it says that there are ways of knowing things about God, of getting our theology. It talks about there being scripture, there being tradition, there being reason, and there being experience. So what what do we mean by that? Well, scripture, that's obvious. We read the word of God and we work out what it says. And we say, okay, well, we believe that. And then there's tradition for getting our thoughts and ideas about God. And that is, well, what did my parents and grandparents and my pastors, 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 what has the church always believed? What did my parents tell me about God? What did my friends and uncles and mentors and teachers, what did they tell me about God? What does church history tell me about God? And that's tradition. So I believe this because... I was brought up in such and such church and they always believed that. I, I am baptising my baby because my grandparents had my parents baptised who had their parents baptised who had their baptised. It's just what we've always done. It's tradition. There's reason, which is I'm a thinking person and I've decided to come to this conclusion by thinking things through and often it can be informed by a lot of kind of modernity or modern society, scientific thinking, It can be, you know what, this is what is reasonable in this age. This is what reasonable people think. So that's how I come to my belief. And then there is experience, which is forming your beliefs and your thoughts about God based on things that have happened to you or experiences that you've had. What I want to put forward to you tonight is that all of those things are actually legitimate things to inform your belief. But what we want as a church that believes in Scripture alone as our highest authority, is to submit all those other things to the Word of God. Because when we put other things above the Word of God in discovering our thoughts about Him is when things go skew if. For example, if we hold tradition more highly over Scripture, we will become a church that does not change. If tradition is our highest value, we will not change. We will value the way things have always been done. We will make our decisions based on the way things have always been done. And in fact, perhaps even if some of our practices and the things that we do are not biblical and we rely on the fact that we've always done it that way, we'll never be open to change. If we hold reason above scripture, 
our thoughts and our ideas will actually be appeals to culture more than appeals to the Word of God. We will look to human wisdom. We'll look to uh, the spirit of liberalism over and above what God says. We need to use our reason. We need to take the, the wisdom of the modern age that there is and scientific thinking, and we need to use that, but we must always subject it to Scripture. And if we take our experience, our personal experience, and hold it over and above Scripture, two things can happen. First is uh, unbridled, unbridled Pentecostalism, which is not bad. Pentecostals are not bad. They're our, uh, our friends, our crazy cousins. But we can run into the thing, uh, I believe fully in the works of the Holy Spirit, but if we have experience above Scripture, we can run into things like this. The Spirit told me so, so I did it, when it con- contradicts Scripture. And it leaves people open to abuse. If people come up to you and say things like, uh, God told me this truth, but it completely contradicts Scripture, I would be very, very sceptical. We must always run things past the Word of God. And the other thing is that if we rely on experience above Scripture, we place too much importance on ourselves, And we trust ourselves too much. I think that everyone in this room has had thoughts or has thought something at some stage and then realised later that they weren't quite right. We've all been under extreme stress and thought things that were a bit distorted. We've all kind of experienced something one way and thought of it one way and then looked back later and thought, you know what, that wasn't quite right. And also if we value this experience over Scripture, that's when we run into the idea that someone like a Pope could come and say, well, this is what I believe and that's above Scripture because it's his experience. All of these things are valuable but must be read and understood through the lens of the Word of God, through Scripture, because that is unchanging. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, does not ignore Christian history and tradition when seeking to understand the Bible. Rather, it sees the Bible as the final authority of faith and practice. Uh, Again, as Luther said, the true rule is this. God's word shall establish articles of faith and no one else, and nothing else, not even an angel can do so. If you think about your beliefs, the ones that you have and why you hold them, if you are reading the word for yourself, if you're reading scripture, uh, listening to biblical preaching that lines up with scripture, and something disagrees with you or jars with you, who or what gets the final say? What do you appeal to? All Christians should read the Bible for themselves and evaluate what they're being taught by it. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, is not saying that tradition and reason and experience have no importance or place in the church. They definitely do. But what it is saying is that if any of these things disagrees with or or contravenes Scripture, what gives way? It's not Scripture. Scripture must be understood definitely in its original historical and grammatical uh, context. Who was writing? What context were they writing from? What context were they writing to? What was the nature and style of writing? 
but we can know and discover that, and scholars and some pastors devote their entire life to figuring that out. But the aim should be to discover the original meaning of the text and then apply it to where we are today. For example, we can take passages of Scripture and take them completely out of context and make them say pretty much whatever we want. So if you took a phrase or a verse out of context, it can lead to complete misunderstanding. For instance, who's ever heard the phrase, God is love? Yeah, I know it's late, but put your hand up. (laughs) God is love. And that is true. It's from 1 John 4, verses 7 to 16. But if we took the phrase, the theology, the good theology, that God is love, and if we took it out of its context... We might come away thinking that our God loves everything and everyone at all times with a gushing romantic love. God is Cupid love. Is that true? But in its kind of literal grammatical context, love here refers to the type of love that is a different kind of love. It's a sacrificial love to the benefit of another. It's a, not a sentimental romantic love. So this context that is written in And the words around it are really important because John, who wrote it, was addressing believers in the first century church and he wasn't actually instructing them on God's love per se, if you read the context. He was actually, in this part of scripture, teaching them how to identify true believers from false believers. So he says God is love, not in the context of you need to know that God is love, which is true. He's telling you God is love because he wants you to be able to tell a true believer from a false believer. True love, the sacrificial beneficial kind, is the mark of a true believer. And those who do not love do not belong to God. God loved us before he loved him, straight from the text. And all of this is why we should love one another and thereby prove that we are his. The entire passage or the entire reason we're told that God is love is so that we know that we're true believers when we love like God loved in a true sacrificial way. So we can pull that out and say, you know what? Man, you can't tell me anything. You can't tell me uh, I'm wrong because God is love. Well, actually, no, they're saying that God is love and so we need to know that we're true believers by loving like he loves. It's really important to understand the scripture and how it was written and why it was written and when it was written. Furthermore, if we consider the phrase God is love in the context of all of scripture, that would keep us from coming to the conclusion that God is only love. If we just pull out one verse and get our thoughts and beliefs from that without considering the rest... Well, God is only love, and then we forget that God actually hates stuff too. We may think God is love and therefore think that his love is is more important than the rest of his attributes, which is simply not the case. We know from other passages that God is also holy, and he's also righteous, faithful and trustworthy, graceful and merciful and kind and compassionate, omnipotent, omnipresent and omniscient and many, many other things. We know from other passages that God is love, yes, but God also is angry. He also hates. So we need to make sure that we are reading the whole thing. We need to see and understand that it's not enough just to kind of literalise everything and pull it out of its context, but in its context, understanding it in the whole teaches us real truth. Tradition is important. Reason is important. But in every generation, what seems reasonable should be challenged. 
our traditions should be challenged by going back to the Word of God. Scripture, as the Reformers saw it, and as we see it, is a fail-safe to corruption and error. Because error spreads in our wicked human hearts and in our churches and in our institutions. And we need the idea of Scripture alone, the highest authority, to bring us back to God's true word. So where do we kind of get this from? Why do we place such a high emphasis on Scripture, the Bible? Well, I just want to briefly pull out a couple of things and say, firstly, as Christians, we love Jesus. We believe in Jesus, we believe that he's God, and Jesus taught and used the Old Testament as Scripture, as God's Word. And so if Jesus says it's Scripture, well, we think it's Scripture. Luke 24, verses 44 and on says this, this is he, Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Thus he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins shall be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus saw the writings of the prophets and the Psalms and the Old Testament as Scripture, as the Word of God. Paul teaches that all Scripture is breathed out by God. In 2 Timothy 3, he writes this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus, through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in works of righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We believe that uh, the Bible has human authors but it also has the author of the Holy Spirit, God working in and through it. And the Holy Spirit worked in and through the particular personalities and experiences of the authors to write the books of the Bible and to shape and have it say what he wanted it to say. God is real, and that's what he has done. The Bible, applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit, is the main way that we are built up and established in the faith, especially after conversion. It's able to cleanse us, to sanctify us, to instruct us in righteousness and to help equip us for every good work. And so we've seen how Jesus... Uh, believe that the Old Testament was Scripture. We have uh, Peter writing, one of Jesus' disciples. Uh, in Second Peter 3, he writes this, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote, wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him by the Holy Spirit, we believe. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. So Peter here is writing about Paul. Paul is one of the uh, authors of many of the books of the New Testament, 
Uh, he was another leader in the early church. And Peter here is writing to someone about the things that Paul has written. And he says this about them. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Yes. Isn't that nice to know that a guy who hung out with Jesus for three years, personally hung out with him every day, is reading Paul's letters, the scripture that he wrote, and saying, you know what, some of the stuff in here is hard to understand. I think that's awesome, because if he writes that, and he hung out with Jesus for three years, it's okay if it's hard for us to understand sometimes, isn't it? Some of the things in them are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. That's true, we see all the time when people take things written in the Bible and twist it to say what they want, and it ends in destruction. But here's the really important crux that I want to draw out. He writes this. As they do the other scriptures. So here Peter, who hung out with Jesus for three years, is talking about his contemporary Paul's writing, who is alive at the time, and saying, this letter that Paul wrote to that church, that's scripture. So we believe it's scripture. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. We need to ask ourselves, in the church, in our Christian life, in our faith, where do we go to work out what we should be doing, who God is? When there's conflicting ideas of theology, how do we work out what's right and what's wrong? If Scripture isn't our highest authority, then what? Do we look to our own thoughts and ideas when we know that our hearts are not stable? We can fool ourselves and think that we are wise, but none of us are truly wise all the time. None of us can rely on ourselves and our own thoughts. Do we look to church leaders when we want to know what to believe? I think we all know that and we see in the media, especially uh, if you're connected to the Christian world at all and see kind of the, the downfall of famous pastors and church institutions that we can't look to church leaders to tell us alone what to believe. Do we look to tradition and look to institutions? I don't think we can. I think we can learn from our traditions and our institutions, but we know that they are all corrupt at some point. We know that people have been hurt by church institutions, especially when they stop teaching and believing and practicing the word of God and the love and the truth that is there. God has given us the gift of Scripture, His Word, to help guide us. You can just reject its authority and become your own authority if you don't like what it says. But can you really trust yourself? Really? You know how much you stuff up all the time. I know how much I stuff up all the time. God has graciously, lovingly given us his word because he knows that all of us have wicked, unstable hearts and we need his word to help guide us because human institutions fail, human leaders fail, our experience fails. He's given us his unchanging word to help guide us and understand all of that. Nobody ever outgrows scripture 
John Spurgeon writes, the book widens and deepens with our years. We never graduate as Christians from Scripture. And so what I do want to encourage in closing is this. Today, providentially, is the first day of the year. What a great day to start a Bible reading plan. I didn't realise that until, you know, about an hour ago. I thought, first day of the year, what a great day to start. I want to encourage you to read the Word of God for yourself. And so uh, following the service, I'll post up on our uh, somewhere, social media somewhere, a few great Bible reading plans. And you know what? I want to post one up that is like a five-day-week one because who knows that no one ever does seven days a week and you all need a catch-up day or two. So I'm going to post that up there, but feel free to do I just want to really encourage you. God has given us the gift of his word. I want to encourage us to, to use it, to get into it, because we cannot solely rely on our own thoughts and ideas, our own experience. We need God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your wisdom um, you have given us the gift of your scripture, your word. Uh, You know that human institutions will fail us and need to be reformed. You know that church leaders will fail us and get things wrong and uh, walk off from the true faith. You know that our own hearts are unstable and not always believing right things. We thank you that you have given us your word, your truth. Um, Though As Peter writes, some things in it are hard to understand. What an understatement. We know you have given it to us as a gift nonetheless. We pray by your Holy Spirit that you would open our eyes to understand the things there and that you would help us to love and value your word, Uh, not for its sake, but for the way that it shows us the glory of who you are and helps us to love you better. Uh, We pray that Uh, you would help us to continually be reforming and coming back to your word, not relying on ourselves, not relying on just what we were taught, but relying on you and your word. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.